For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. So often our society teaches us that we should be strong, that we have to be strong. We champion the athletes. We champion strong people, weightlifters and gymnasts and runners and swimmers, powerful people, people who can do many things, people with great abilities, people with vast intellects, people with large amounts of money. Our society teaches us to value self-sufficiency and great strength, great ability, great looks, or great money. Just look at our idols in the uh, media industry. Look at the people that we champion as athletes. Look at the people that we think are important in politics. They're the strong, the good-looking, and the rich. Hmm. Our society teaches us to go after the strong one. Follow the strong and the good-looking and the powerful. The weak. Not weakness, but strength. And yet the reality of our existence is that for most of us, and most of the time, we are weak. Most of the time we struggle. Most of the time... We don't know how we're going to make it through the day. There have been times when I've gotten up in the morning and I thought, you know, I think I'm going to go just right back to that bed. I hear y'all laugh, but it's real. It's true. There are times when I've gotten up in the morning and I thought, you know, I think I'm just going to go right back to bed. I think I'm going to pull those covers over my head and I think I'm going to see if the day is still here tomorrow. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Turn on the television, watch the news. Too big for me. Back to bed we go. If it weren't for breakfast, I don't think I would get out of bed most mornings. Because I love me some bacon and eggs, friends. Oh, amen. Oh, my goodness gracious. We value the strong in our society, not the weak. And yet so much of us, if we're honest, we know that we lack. We know that we're in need. We know that we are not strong. We know that we cannot face it on our own. We know that we are in trouble. The problems are too big. The world has too much stuff going on in it that we can't handle. The people we elect can't handle it. How in the world can we possibly face it? Oh. When I, uh, I got my doctorate, earned it, finalized it, got the actual paper in 1994, and I, I look at it on my wall from time to time, and I think, you know, and I, I go and I read my papers and my dissertation and the stuff I wrote back in 1994, and I say, it's a miracle they let me graduate. <laughs> I was stupid. I've learned more in the last 24 years than I learned in all of those years of education before. And I figure that 24 years from now, I'm going to look back at myself today and I'm going to say, gosh, Greg, you were dumb. How dare the bishop inflict you on those wonderful, beautiful Christians there at Farmersville? <laughs> we're supposed to have the mind of Christ that I read some of the stuff I wrote and I go, my word, thank God I've grown. Hmm. 
We champion the strong. We champion the smart. We champion the beautiful. We champion the rich and the powerful, the influential, not the weak. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know we're weak. We know that we know nothing. The the more I learn, the more I discover and learn that I need to learn. The more I've studied, the more I study, I have to do. Sometimes I feel like Sergeant Schultz from Hogan's Heroes. Remember that show? I know nothing. I see nothing. I know nothing. That's how I feel. I'm an amateur astronomer. I, I have several telescopes. I'll bring one some Sunday and we'll put it up and I'll explain how it works and we'll talk about the universe. But I'll go out at night and I'll put up my telescope and I'll look at the universe that God created and I'll be blown away at its majesty and its magnificence. And the one who made all of that cares about infinitesimal, tiny, itty-bitty me and itty-bitty us. Wow. We champion the strong in our society, but God cares for the real people. Those of us who know that we are nothing. Know that we are weak. Know that we are in need. For whenever I am weak, Paul wrote, then, then I am strong. In and of ourselves, we earthlings are weaklings. In and of ourselves, we lack. And we are in need of God's grace and God's strength and God's love and God's favor. When we realize this, when we accept that God's strength can be our strength, if only we will trust in Him, when we accept that Christ's love and presence can be alive within us, transforming us and empowering us, when we accept this, then, and only then, do we discover that in Christ we can be strong. In Christ we can have power. In Christ we can overcome the obstacles that face us day by day, night by night. Week by week, year by year. In Christ, we can face whatever obstacle this life throws in front of us. In Christ, we can overcome whatever stumbling block the evil one has placed in our way. That was Paul's experience. Paul writes here about the thorn in the flesh. He had... Lots of thorns in his flesh in his life and ministry. He began as a, like most of us, he began as a know-it-all, all right? He began as a, a rabbi uh, under appointment from the Sanhedrin to persecute Christians. That was his job. He was sent to persecute the early church. And he would go breathing insults and anger to persecute the early believers in Jesus Christ. And he would capture them and arrest them. And he received letters from the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling group of the Jews, to go to Damascus, way outside of Judea, and to capture Christians and to bring them back in captivity to face trial before the Jewish authorities. 
And he was on his way to Damascus when God knocked him off his donkey and onto his keister. That's a good word, by the way, keister. <laughs> knocked him off his donkey and got his attention and called him not to persecute, but to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not to persecute, to proclaim the love of God. Not to persecute, to proclaim the grace that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's life was totally transformed from a persecutor of the church to a proclaimer of the gospel. From the persecutor of Christ, the proclaimer of Christ. But his past would never let him go. Or more accurately, there were people who you would come along and try to convince him that, you know, he, he was uh, not trustworthy. They would follow him in his pastorate and say, you know, you really can't trust Paul. He used to persecute the church. Lots of theories as to what this thorn of the flesh is. Some people say that thorn of the flesh was an illness. Like he had, a, when, when, when he was knocked off his donkey, he, 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 his eyes were blinded. And some say that he had eye issues, um, bleeding eyes or pus coming out of his eyes, really gross stuff. Some people think that it was a, a stuttering condition or acne or some other issue. Some people think that he had epilepsy. Lots of different weird and crazy theories as to what might the thorn in the flesh have been. Usually based upon the term flesh, thorn in the flesh. It must be something physical, right? Well, some of that speculation can become so wild that I'm often like to joke that one theory has been that the thorn in the flesh was Spongebob. <laughs> hey, Paul, what are you doing? Writing a letter? <laughs> I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. No, my friends, lots of theories as to what the thorn in the flesh is. Not Spongebob, not uh, weak eyes, not epilepsy, not acne, not uh, any other physical condition. Paul actually tells us what his thorn in the flesh is. It's right there on the screen. Uh, back it up. Back it up. Back it up to the cartoon. No, the other way. There you go. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan. Now you can go forward. A messenger from Satan. The Greek word translated messenger here is agalos, the word from which we get angel. Angel? Uh-huh. And we call angels or messengers, we call messengers from God angels, we call angels or messengers of Satan, what? Demons. demons. Oh, now I know the modern world doesn't like to talk about demons. Oh, we'll consider demons in horror movies, but we'd rather not talk about them too much. But Paul knew what a demon was. Calling it an angel from Satan softens the blow a little bit. But the focus was more on that demon's harassment of him. And it probably points to the fact that it wasn't so much some visible manifestation of some entity, as it was the voices of people around him, reminding him 
that God's grace would not be sufficient for him because he had persecuted the church. Paul, Paul, you persecuted the church. You'll never be forgiven. Or those people who would follow him around and say, you can't trust Paul. He persecuted the church. He might start persecuting again. Don't believe him. Don't follow him. Follow us instead. Which was what was happening. The thorn in the flesh was that voice in the back of his head. Sowing doubt in his own salvation. Sowing doubt in God's grace. You'll never be forgiven. Paul, God's grace isn't enough. So what does he do? He goes to God and he prays to God. He prays three times that he would be delivered. And Jesus says to him, My grace is sufficient for you. For, and it's literally, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. That's good news for us, my friends. God's grace is sufficient for us. For God's power is made perfect in our weakness. When we are weak, and we know it and admit it to ourselves, we're not tempted to think that any success or strength that we have comes from us. God's power is made perfect, complete. It comes to fruition within us, in and through our weakness, in and through our willingness to simply open ourselves to God's grace and allow God to work through us often despite us. Knocking us out of the way so that God can work. Some people say, Greg, why do you wear robes on Sunday morning? I mean, you know, why don't you just wear a suit and tie? Well, suit and tie would kind of choke me anyway. But, uh, yeah, brother, yeah. (laughs) Said by a man wearing that noose around his neck. Yeah. Well, um, when I first started out in ministry in the North Texas Conference, this is back in 1992, and I was um, pastor of a three-point charge, Celeste Kingston in White Rock in Hunt County. And uh, the old Kingston church uh, had a pastor in it named, a retired pastor named Freeman Pearson. And I'm in the middle of my sermon, and it was hot. I mean, it was July, it was 102, and they turned off the window units so that they could hear you preach there. So no robe for me. So I'm standing there in front of the congregation, and we're, I'm preaching away, preaching up a storm. I'm praying it's going to start raining. It wasn't. I'm preaching, and in the middle of my sermon, I'm getting right to the most important part of the message. Freeman stands up in the middle of the church and says, Brother Greg, your flies open. <laughs> Zip. And since then, you better believe I check. <laughs> and I wear robes when I, when I can. <laughs> Where I am weak, then I am strong. 
I wear robes to get me out of the way. I wear robes so I don't have to worry about myself. I can hide in the office of ministry, behind the office of ministry, so that the words that I speak will simply flow. So that the voice of Jesus and His grace and His love and His power and His strength might be heard. Where we are weak, He is strong. And when we accept the fact that we can do nothing by our own strength and our own ability, and we depend entirely upon Him, then He becomes strong in us and through us. And then we discover, as Paul discovered, in the midst of this struggle with this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan, that yes, indeed, God's grace is sufficient for us. For God's power is made perfect, made complete in our weakness. The challenge that most Christians face is believing that we save ourselves. That either some recitation of a doctrine of the church or some good work that we do saves us. Nope. Sorry. It's not the case. God's grace saves us. God's love saves us. Jesus Christ, our Lord, in His coming to live among us, in His teaching, in His preaching, His healing, in His delivering, His feeding, His transforming, His life, His ministry, His death, His resurrection, His ascension into glory, His presence here today, Jesus Christ, His grace and His love saves us. And all we do is say amen and accept it and get out of the way. So that He can work through us. So that Jesus can work and live through us. And share the love of God with all. Jesus said, Jesus had one commandment. This is my commandment. That you love one another. Wow. We're called to love each other. And we begin doing that by getting out of the way. Jesus didn't know who this person I'm called to love. I don't particularly like him very much. Sorry. Oh, I I can't love them. They, they, They cut me off on the road the other day. Sorry. We disagree on politics. Sorry. This is my commandment. Jesus didn't say, this is my suggestion. (laughs) This is my commandment. That you love one another. We're going to talk about what that means in some future message. Today, that love of God is manifested right there. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. 
When God's grace is sufficient for us, when God's grace is sufficiently flowing through our lives, when God's grace is alive and living through you towards others, then yes, it is sufficient for you. And our weakness is set aside when the power of God is shining forth from us. Jesus said, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. This was said to Paul after he begged God three times to relieve him of this messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh. May we too turn to God to seek strength and transforming grace and know and hear the promise. That God's grace is sufficient for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And may the people of God say, In your presence, Lord.